Hey, Emily. What's up, Greg? I'm across the table from you. I know. Uh, we are in Sea Island, Georgia. You'll be hearing ambient noise uh, as we do the podcast today. Most of that is the Board of Governors flying away on their private jets. Yep, on their on their pontoon jets. Mm. Uh, many of them uh, escaping via riverboat, I believe, as well. Who was that? I'm sure there's a few. That was David Poyle, wasn't it? <laughs> So, the Board of Governors meetings were here in Sea Island, Georgia, for the last two days. We are doing the show together, uh, having just witnessed the 32nd team in uh, the National Hockey League officially approved, courtesy of $650 million, and countless more spent on arena and infrastructure. The Seattle Whatevers are your latest expansion team, beginning play in 2021. I've decided my new cause is Unleash the Kraken. This is the hill I'm going to die on. And my new cause is to honor the whoever it was on Twitter. Twitter who said that the goal song for the Seattle team should be uh, the theme song from Frasier, Toss Salad and Scrambled Eggs. <laughs> well, that's lovely. You go, unnamed Twitter user. All right, coming up on the show this week, Victor DeBonis. If you don't know the name, he is the COO of the new Seattle franchise, used to be with the Vancouver Canucks. Um, so that's a pretty good conversation, enlightening about the process and enlightening about the future of the team. And also Katie Strang of The Athletic joins us to talk about many, 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 many things NHL-wise. All that more on ESPN and Ice. And with that, let's start the show proper, shall we? From the ice to your earbuds, a podcast about hockey, featuring things to do with hockey. From your friends at ESPN, it's ESPN on Ice with Wachinski and Kaplan. Hey everybody, welcome to ESPN on Ice, the podcast where ESPN talks about hockey. I'm Greg Wyshynski, senior NHL writer. I'm Emily Kaplan, national NHL reporter. Greetings from Sea Island, Georgia, a land of swamps and riverboats and danger, probably. Also a place called Crab Crab Daddy's that we went to uh, last night for dinner. It was really crabby and delicious. It was really creamy and delicious. You got some grits in you. You know what? And I slept fine. I was a little worried about my stomach, but it just must be the weather here and, you know, at the infectious energy because, as you've mentioned several times, this entire thing went without glitch, which just feels weird for the NHL. It does feel weird. It also feels weird because, like, when Vegas entered the league, um, there was all these concerns about, like, should we give an expansion team do they, know how, do they know how to make ice? Will all the players become addicted to gambling? You know, there was all these questions about, about Vegas. But Seattle obviously has been a team that's been on the runway for a long time. I feel like they'd already have a team if, they, if their ownership situation could have been cleared up, if the arena situation had been cleared up a few years ago. Um, but as Gary Bettman said, this is this fits the three pillars of expansion. Good ownership, a great building, and a passionate fan base in the market. Greg, and, and that's Seattle. With all due respect, that sounds more like the SNL bar mitzvah dude well, than Gary know, Bettman. Same difference. Um, so so Seattle is now uh, official. $650 million, as we mentioned. Uh, the t- 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 totality of the, of the payout uh, to become a part of this league is going to be over like $1.2 or $1.4 billion. $1.4 billion because as Todd Lewicki, the CEO, said today, the arena renovations, which initially the first time I heard it was like $550 million, it's now reached $800 million, which, yeah. that's the huge crux of this, right? That's why they're pushing back a year. Right. As, as you'll hear in our interview with, with Victor, Victor DeBonis on the show, like, there, there was two kind of um, 
cynical doubts I had about this team. Mm-hmm. The first is is obviously like infrastructure. It's a downtown arena. I've heard from some people in Seattle that that getting around to Key Arena at Seattle Center is going to be a little bit tough. There isn't a lot of parking garages right there. I'm going to give you an asterisk there because the 800 million dollars I just mentioned does include right. some kind of transportation realignment or whatever and, it be. And I I agree. That's why I was going to say like that. At least that seems like they they have some plan in place. They're going to try to increase the capacity of the monorail. Maybe that's not going to be the hassle we all think it is. Seattle is one of 74 U.S. cities that claims to be the worst traffic city in America. (laughs) I learned that when I went there in January. But the other issue, and I think I've mentioned this before on the podcast, is like, you know, there's a lot of challenges for the uh, the entertainment dollar in Seattle. The Mariners, even though they suck now, the Seahawks, you got you Sounders, the Sounders, the Storm, the Storm, national champions, right? I mean, all the mayor called them. All of these teams. Um, together, it's it's daunting, and um, and you know when the NBA does come back, and Jerry Bruckheimer today was talking about the fact that like they that, that you know they're hoping to get a basketball team in there too. That's part of the equation of this arena uh, refurbishment and or you know rebuilding of it. Of it. Um, I wonder where that puts the entertainment dollars for the NHL. So the theory now, according to the people I've talked to, according to our guests today, according to others on the board of governors, is don't worry about how the pie is split up. Just look how delicious the pie is. Look how many people are sports fans in Seattle and how many of them are young between the ages of 18 and 29 and how many of them are really wealthy. And that is the, that's the game right now. Do you know where the way I look at it is that this is a city that's been coveted by the NHL for a while. They're a hockey community that's just ready to burst. I mean, they support two WHL teams within like a 20-mile radius, which is ridiculous. Um, but one of the reasons the NHL could not go there the last 20 years is that the city was just exploding. It was growing too fast with all this check money, with all these young professionals with expendable incomes, right. and it's so hard to build there. Well, finally, they're like, we know how rich it is. If we could just find a way to build there and get a stake, we know they will come. Yeah. And I think that's the spin zone I would look at, and that's the way everyone here is looking at it. Uh, excuse me, Emily, this is a no-spin zone. Um, also, mm-hmm. <laughs> And that's it for Emily's portion of the podcast today. She'll be riding that booze cruise for the rest of the night. I'm looking out for you, Emily. So the thing about Seattle also, the big surprise, I think, um, because at least it was one of the few mysteries of this whole thing, was that instead of 2020, it's a 2021 start for the team. Now, it's being portrayed as, well, we're going to give them an extra year to make sure the arena construction's fine. The team themselves are like, hey, this is great. Um, now the arena can be done. We can have our expansion draft here. Spin zone. I'm not quite sure how that's going to happen because the NHL awards are in uh, Vegas, but, you know, let, let's give them that. Um, so, you know, I feel like that was a bit of a surprise only because it seemed like the team was really passionate about starting in 2020 uh, to the point where Todd Lewicki was like, I have to remake my business cards to now say Seattle 2021. Were you surprised that they moved the date? I was not surprised at all. When I asked Bill Daly about it in September, this is one of the first times I heard him really pushing the, you know, 2021 is better. And then he started alluding to it in more and more interviews. And look, this is just one concession the Seattle group had to make. Mm-hmm. They were so happy to be included. Jerry Breckheimer says, childhood dream, to own an NHL yeah, team, yada, yada, yada. By the way, I asked Jerry Breckheimer today, how involved 
will you be? You know, he's like kind of been one of the faces of this and he's like, oh no, I'll just hire more experienced people. Like, <laughs> I'm not going to be involved at all. Yeah, like, yeah. he's just going to make the video projects. There you go. Um, that said, uh, 2021 just makes more sense for the league and as we'll talk about with Katie Strang, it's very conspicuous that the 2020-21 season is an asterisk on the NHL calendar because it is a potential slash likely work stoppage right. and this kind of quashes their fears there. They don't really have to use it as a bait, which they probably would have anyway, but I digress. Uh, it just makes sense and it's one of the things that Seattle Group just had to say yes to. It, it had, had to swallow it. It, yeah. it really didn't have any, any, any way to get around what the NHL wanted here and Again, you know, it's it's one of these deals where, uh, you know, it'll be interesting to see what the next steps are. It'll be interesting to see who they hire for the GM job. Obviously, Dave Tippett is going to be pretty high on the hockey operations ladder there. Um, and it's going to be interesting to see how they fill out the rest of the staff. I mean, say what you will about Vegas and the good fortune that was uh, that, that befell that franchise straight away, um, especially with the expansion draft rules that Seattle will also have. But they had a heck of a brain trust in place to make sure that they could exploit those rules and, and maximize the amount of impact they could have through the expansion draft. So we'll see what they do. I mean, listen, I... As I mentioned, I'm from New Jersey. You know, they taught cynicism in kindergarten to us. This whole thing feels very oogie to me. Uh, the fact that this thing went so smoothly, the fact that people seem so happy, the fact that every single governor I talked to, off the record, on the record, what have you, said the same thing, which is like, A, this is an awesome market, they're going to kill it there, and B, even if they have any problems, the Liewickies, uh, Bonderman, uh, Bruckheimer. Or like, 22 of their other investors. Yeah, know, it's like, nearly a 30 <laughs> person uh, ownership group. That they have the utmost confidence that they're going to be able to figure it out. But just to pause on that, my favorite thing today by far besides them uh, bringing a child on stage in a youth hockey jersey to be like, this is our fan base. Not the, you know, white male ages 18 to 29 that will undoubtedly be buying most of the tickets. Sure. Um, I, I like, I love the fact that they had one guy there. To represent all of the other investors and the minority investors. And they're like, you know, podunk mom and pop kind of investors. They had one guy there, and I'm just thinking, it's like, it's like, it's like, it's like Bonderman's got all this, he's a billionaire. Investment and then banker. like a billionaire, and then it's like the rest of it's like the Packers. It's just like local people buying into the team. Well, it's local people with political influence, and that's what oh, all the sure. Seattle people have told me. It's, it's not a coincidence of what names you hear, whether they have money or not. Right, right. But again, it's, it's, I've long said that, that Seattle, um, was, an advantageous market for the, for the NHL. Would I have liked it to be Portland instead? Maybe. I like I like there to be a cleaner slate of competition for my entertainment dollar than you have in Seattle, which is pretty jam packed um, with the NBA potentially on the way. But I mean, look, rivalry with Vancouver, awesome. Being in the Pacific Division, having another West Coast team, awesome. Uh, undoubtedly, is going to have a really cool name and color scheme. Sure, take I'm, their time with that. I know, I know, Sasquatch, Kraken, whichever you want to go. But, I mean, it's going to work, and, and, and I'm, I'm confident it's going to work. Do I think they're going to be top ten in revenue, as one governor told us this week? I can't tell you that, but I can tell you that I don't think it's going to be unsuccessful, and I can tell you that there are definitely teams in this league that are a little envious that that market's been claimed. Yes. <laughs> teams that might be at risk. Teams that might be a bit portable are a little upset that that market's been claimed. This is how I'll end this segment. It's probably your lingering questions. Okay, so they have Dave Tippett on the staff. He's like the senior advisor, really the only person in hockey ops. When are they going to round out the rest of the staff? Well, the extra year gives them a little bit more flexibility. It doesn't make them have a total pressure finding a coach right away. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're going to want to find the right coach. And, you know, everyone in Seattle has one name in mind, and that's Joel Quenville. Maybe he doesn't want to sit out two full seasons. Maybe they had a better 
chance if it was one. I would not be shocked if we heard a GM's name by the spring, hmm. just as uh, Vegas kind of put their staff in place very early. Uh, there's a lot of GM candidates out there uh, who would gladly take this job early. I've also heard that, you know, <laughs> it's probably not by the books, but there's been conversations about other jobs, and I wouldn't be shocked if you start to see a staff being filled out very quickly. Are and- you trying to say that there have been back channel conversations with people that may now be in jobs for the Seattle jobs? I'm saying we should chat to the next topic. <laughs> I'm saying that it is the great unspoken rule. Listen, when when free agents sign but 10 seconds into free agency and then they claim we've had no conversations with these people, it just so happened that we agreed so quickly. We all know what goes on. We're big people. Well, look, and I think the Seattle ownership group is doing things by the books, but there's no doubt in my mind, slash I know for a fact that they are getting dozens of job applications and inquiry emails by right. the day. Right. Go Squatch Go. Um, listen. Kraken! The Seattle uh, whatevers are going to be a new team. They're going to be a fresh team. They're going to be a good-looking team. And if you want to be good-looking... Gentlemen, there's only one place to go. <laughs> What's that? Indochino. It is a place with a huge variety of fabrics, colors, and patterns, and that's what makes Indochino so stylish. Um, it, there's no longer an excuse for wearing an ill-fitting suit, some off-the-rack nonsense. You can get it tailored, folks. Um, and it's high quality, lowest price kind of tailoring. It's a unique experience where you get to play a designer. Indochino is America, North America's leading made-to-measure menswear company. Uh, they make suits and shirts to fit your exact measurements for an unparalleled fit. Here's how it works. You visit a stylist at their showroom. They take your measurements personally, or you can measure yourself at home, you know, if you're into it, and shop online at Indochino.com. You choose your fabric. You choose your design customizations, you submit your measurements with your choices, and you relax while your suit gets professionally tailored and mailed to you in a couple weeks. Plus, ESPN on Ice listeners can get any premium Indochino suit for just $359 at Indochino.com. That's I-N-D-O-C-H-I-N-O.com when entering the promo code ICE at checkout. That's 50% off the regular price for a made-to-measure premium suit. As I mentioned before, I own an Indochino jacket. It, in fact, it's sitting right here on this chair right now. It's what I wore here. You looked really sharp this morning. I was going to compliment you, and I didn't, but now is a perfect time in front of all of our listeners. You're genuine about it, too. And I really am. No, this is a great commercial, then. Um, <laughs> shipping is free. That's Indochino.com, promo code ICE for any premium suit for just 359 bucks and free shipping. It's an incredible deal for a premium made-to-measure suit, Indochino, a proud sponsor of this very podcast. Victor DeBonis is the COO of the new team in Seattle. And uh, he talked to us about a great many things, um, from what the marketplace looks like to his time with the Vancouver Grizzlies, some NBA nostalgia for you there. And also and, the Canucks. Uh, and, and the Canucks. Um, and also about that very sort of connection that the Seattle team is going to have with Vancouver. So nice of him to join us on a really busy day and hope you uh, learn a little bit more about the Seattle franchise. All right. How are you feeling today? Very, very excited. It, uh, it's history today, and uh, being from uh, Vancouver <laughs> and so close to Seattle is uh, in the Pacific Northwest, and being able to be part of this for the fans uh, is so special. And we're very happy and excited, and now the work really starts to do something special. Now, you worked intimately with the Connects organization for, you said, more than 20 years? Yeah, I started there uh, when I was six years old. No, I was 28. <laughs> I was 28 when I started there and had a 23-year career there, um, left a year ago. And Todd called me and, and he said, get ready. 
and I didn't know what he was talking about. Uh, we worked together uh, early on in Vancouver when we built Ro Rogers Arena and we uh, brought an expansion NBA team to Vancouver. Mm -hmm. And so our relationship started then. And we've always talked about maybe there, there'd be a chance for us to do something special again. Mm -hmm. And I didn't realize it was going to be this special, but we're, we reunited and we're super excited to, to serve the fans. This might be the first uh, big country Bryant Reeves and Stevie Francis uh, references on this podcast, <laughs> Vancouver How Grizzlies. How do you know all those players? Oh, That's come pretty on. impressive. Well, first of all, I went to Maryland, so I was a Steve Francis guy. Okay. Uh, maybe the less said about him in Vancouver, the better, but uh, but that was a fun team, man. Yeah, you know, we were, yeah. we were We were young then, you know, just starting our careers in sports, and we weren't, you know, making the, the big decisions, and you know, we uh, this is now a, a whiteboard, of, and for us to hopefully with everybody, and 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 starting from the ownership all the way through to the community, create something on a whiteboard that'll be special. Why do you think this bid was successful, while other ones that Seattle were sort of churning around Seattle in recent years fell apart? Well, I think firstly. You know, solving the arena issue, which has been, um, you know, a number of years in the making, and having that vision to do that with the mayor and, and Tim Liwicki and, and the team of people there, that was a major issue to resolve. And, and once you have a place to play, there's no, I, I can't think of a city that is more passionate and committed and, and just supportive of their of their sports teams uh, we've li only lived there for five weeks and <laughs> and you know you see it on sunday what's going on mm -hmm. and the passion that everyone has and once when they realize that you're working for the for nhl seattle they automatically get excited and and you know being there for five weeks it does feel to me like a hockey town that's cool. too and uh, I think it's, it, everyone's going to really love the, love the sport. As someone who, you know, works so closely with Vancouver, I think a lot of us are assuming there's so many similarities between the markets, right? They're very similar cities. But where do you see, A, the similarities, or B, the differences and challenges that you'll have starting from scratch? Well, I, the history is very similar. Sure. The Patrick family, and, and you know, they built the first, the first 10,000-seat arena on uh, Denman in Georgia. Near at Stanley Park, right? So there is definitely that that legacy over a hundred years, um, but the the markets are different. It's a different country. It's um, you know the passion is still there, but it is different. It's a different. They're, they're two different cities, and I think the rivalry will will help both both cities in in a lot of ways and differently. I think I think Vancouver um, seeing and experiencing what Seattle does, and Seattle seeing the Vancouver traditions, mm -hmm. and 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 they'll play off each other and create really special games and 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 heavy competition. Like it'll just happen. Now I'm a cynic, and this entire process has gone way too smoothly, way too smoothly. <laughs> what are the, what are the challenges in the market uh, as far as you know when you go in there and, and you're looking at it? Like what what are to, in your opinion? The biggest obstacles to success right now for the Seattle franchise. Well, I've I've never been in a market where you have an NFL team and mm -hmm. a a baseball team and then a, a women's basketball team. Mm -hmm. Like 
And so, potentially an NBA team yeah, at some point. Potentially. Yeah. So you've got a major sports comp- competitive um, landscape there. Mm-hmm. In Vancouver, it's really, you know, you, you do have a football team and a soccer team, and the Sounders as well, right, who are so popular yeah. and, and doing amazing. And it, so there is that, you know, demand for sports and whether people are going to start to choose. And so I just feel being there for the time I've been there is it doesn't really matter what team it is. Everybody supports their team in Seattle. Yeah. Every sport. And and I think that popularity and that demand and that inspiration Mm -hmm. is going to come through. And you, but you can't take anything for granted. Mm. This is going to be a fan first franchise, and we want to do things the right way. And I hope everyone will be excited, and it'll be a special experience you, for them. You mentioned the Sounders. I mean, that to me would seem like you're going for the same pot. You know, young, affluent millennials that uh, you know want to gather downtown for a rally to the stadium, right? That the MLS is kind of courting, and you're courting as well. I mean, but it sounds like you're saying that it's less about. Who, who are we grabbing fans from then being a part of the Seattle sports scene and, and the support across the board is for teams in Seattle rather than a specific sport or team? Adrian Hanauer is one of the owners of, yeah. of this franchise. And so it is about community. It's about rising above those those kinds of issues and creating special moments for people in Seattle and the Puget Sound across all sports. Todd... You know, worked for the Seahawks. He worked for the Sounders. Like he's covered pretty well every team in the, in the market and understands this better than anybody. And we definitely don't want to take away from those teams. We right. want to enhance everybody and make it even better. Right. Last question for me: We saw how bold the Vegas Golden Knights were in their inaugural season and in marketing themselves. And how much will you borrow from their playbook? You know, it's uh, it's a good question, <laughs> and I think you, I think. You want to create something special for what works in Seattle, and and it will feel like it's it's the Puget Sounds experience, not a Vegas experience. Right. And capturing that in a bottle and creating that magic is what we're going to try to do. And you know, I was at the Sound Sounders uh, playoff game a couple weeks ago, and uh, you know, and, and Todd and John Rizzardini, they're a big part of. And Bill Shapin, who's on, on, our, on our staff, are a big part of that start of that franchise. And and seeing that energy in there and the, the smart ways they go about engaging the fans, the right way, the Seattle way, is what we're going to try to do. And it will be different, but it will feel the right thing for everybody. And last one for me. You only get one shot at the name. You, only get one. you can change the colors. You get one shot at the name. How much pressure is it? I mean, and Vegas is a good, good example. They, you know, stressed over the name and, and came up with a scheme that I think really worked based on their sales of gear and stuff. But how much stress is there inherent in making sure you get the name right? It's a big deal. <laughs> yeah, yeah. A big From a marketing deal. perspective, at the it very totally least. It totally is. Yeah. But it's like anything. If you put the time in and you think through it properly, you, you listen to the fans about what they feel is important to them mm-hmm. with their team and you line all those things up and, and you do the, the right amount of work mm-hmm. you don't cut it short 
you'll pick the right name. It'll just and it may not feel the right name when it comes out, mm-hmm. but as it evolves yeah. and over time, and when when the puck drops that first game, you're going to be everyone should if they we failed if we're not excited and supportive of the entire situation mm-hmm. with that team. Our listeners will uh, kick our asses if we don't ask you what the name is. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> You know, that's the one thing where, you know, my background, I'm a CPA, a little more with the numbers. I like I like leading people and teaching. Yeah. And, 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 and the one thing, I, I, I'm very fortunate. I can kind of give the stiff arm on the, on the branding stuff and let the real <laughs> smart people figure that out. Our thanks to Victor DeBonis for joining us on the podcast. And, you know, when I met him, we were talking, and I just couldn't help but think he's going to be so busy in the next couple months. And... You know, the holidays are actually a busy time for everyone, maybe not just Victor. Super busy. So, as you know, the holidays can be tough, and it's especially at the post office where it gets really stressful. And that's why we use Stamps.com. It saves us so much time during the hectic holiday season. Stamps.com brings all the services of the U.S. post office right to your desktop. we got to let Victor know about this. <laughs> You can buy and print official U.S. postage for any letter, any package, any class of mail using your own computer and printer, and then the mail carrier just picks it up. Oh. No trips to the post office required. It could not be easier. No fuss, no muss. You know, with all the time and money you'll save, because Stamps.com, you do get discounts on postage you can't even get at the post office, and I'm very frugal this time of year. i got to buy a lot of people gifts. Mm. Uh, Stamps.com is the best gift you can receive and give yourself this holiday season. I should give this as a gift. You should. Think about that. I use Stamps.com because I love it and it's convenient for me. And right now, you too can enjoy the Stamps.com service with a special offer that includes a four-week trial plus postage and a digital scale. What? And you don't have to commit to long-term commitments because uh, I'm not really into that, so you can just be like me. (laughs) So you go to Stamps.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage, and type in ICE, I-C-E. That's Stamps.com, enter ICE. All right, now it's time for one of our favorite segments on ESPN and ICE. This Western Conference team is the only NHL club to win a game in five different time zones this season. Who is it? Five different time zones. I have to admit, I don't know uh, five time zones. Oh, wait. I guess he's probably talking about, like, international, right? They must have played in Europe. Okay. So I don't remember who played in Europe, pretty much. <laughs> I think Florida did, and I'm pretty sure the Oilers did, maybe. Sure. Um, so for lack of a better answer, I'll go with... Oh, Winnipeg did, too. Damn it. That was going to be my answer. Right, I'll take Florida. You could take Winnipeg. Is yeah. That, your answer is Winnipeg? Yeah, because Winnipeg has won way more than Florida this year. All right, let's see what his answer is. The Winnipeg Jets have done their share of flying around as they have won games in the Pacific, Mountain, Central, and Eastern time zones in North America, as well as the Eastern European time zone in Finland. It was the Jets! It was, in fact, the Jets. Uh, so, there you go. Uh, congratulations to both of us remembering two teams that played overseas. <laughs> the NHL would be really impressed with that. And congrats to the NHL on their global series. Indeed. Willie Nylander signed, or does he go by William? I always get confused. I feel like it's Willie, but it's always written William. I've had this weird thing this year with Calvin Pickard, and all of a sudden he's Cal Pickard. Yeah. Like, I met the kid. Yeah. He was Calvin to me. My favorite name change one, I think, of all time was when Danny, uh, Danny, I think he went Daniel to Danny or Danny to Daniel. He went from Danny to Daniel Briere, I think, when he was acquired by the Philadelphia Flyers. I might have said it on this podcast, but I've just become obsessed when Jesper Fosf became Jesper Fast. (laughs) Amazing. Well, William, William, uh, 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 quotation marks, Willie Nylander. (laughs) 
um, was going to be ineligible to play this season if he didn't sign a contract as a restricted free agent before a deadline on December 1st. Moments, seconds, drama before the deadline was supposed to hit. Uh, news broke on Twitter that he, in fact, agreed to a six-year uh, contract that was going to pay him over forty-one million dollars. It was structured in a way where uh, there was going to be a lot of money up front, um, allowing there to be a lowered cap hit under seven million dollars, which is sort of what Kyle Dubas wanted uh, in the out years from two to six. Um, you know, there's a lot of drama here. I mean, I, I, the, the, the Maple Leafs seemed like they were pretty confident that he was always going to sign. Um, but there was definitely some thought that maybe they were going to flip him for a defenseman. Maybe there was going to be a stalemate to the end. Um, the, the drama ends. The saga ends. I think they're a better player with him on Austin Matthews' line, at least this season, until maybe they can diagnose other parts of the team where they can use him to get better. But what do you think this means for the league? There, there is like an all-star team of all-star teams that goes un, uh, that goes restricted free agent next summer. Do you think this is going to muck up the works for the rest of the league? Okay, I'm going to digress a little bit. I'll tell you what this means for the league. It's good for visibility. This is a little bit inside baseball, but as we've been here at the Board of Governors meetings, I've talked to a lot of Canadian media, mm-hmm. and they've said as exhausting and draining all this Nylander coverage was. It crushed it in traffic. In fact, <laughs> one person told me that they think that the Nylander stories will surpass all the John Tavares stories that they wrote this year, which is really wild. That's crazy. But what this means is it sets precedent, and I think this almost is going to be a landmark case. We will always look back on the great Willie Nylander standoff of 2018. <laughs> I really do, because we're entering this age now where contracts are different, where players are coming into the league at a younger age and mm-hmm. producing, and then sooner they're demanding these large contracts, and the NHL just can't handle it by their structure. They've given all of these onerous contracts mm-hmm. with no movement calls to these older players and they're just not able to juggle it. And I think there's going to be more and more Willie Nylanders out there. Now, I think the Leafs were able to hold off with him and give him what he wanted, which was a $6.9 million AAV. Nice. And I think that screws with some other teams who just might not be able to afford that's, that. That's the real issue. I mean, like, I don't think they necessarily set a precedent or reinvented the wheel in the sense that all young players are now going to wait until mm-hmm. seconds before the deadline on December 1st to sign their deals. I think every situation is different. I think in Nylander's case, obviously, the situation was, oh, you want me to take this amount of money because you know you have to pay Mitch Marner and Austin Matthews next summer. And that obviously isn't going to be a repeatable thing. But because they have Mitch Marner and Austin Matthews and John Tavares and Nazem Kadri and all these players, the Leafs were able to A, maintain a level of success without Willie Nylander, and B, take it to the deadline because maybe they didn't need him. You know, like, so, so I do think it's kind of unfair in some ways that they were able to do this financial play when other teams clearly are not going to be able to. If you're a te- if you're a one horse team and that horse is like, I ain't going to play for you until you sign me. Well, that's a different equation. Then okay, take your time, go to Sweden. We're good. We've got Tavares and Marner putting up a Pick billion out points. Your three piece suit. Yeah, yeah, we have. My, you know, we're a very good team without you. We can be an even better team with you, but we're good. Like other teams can't do that, like the Leafs did. And I think the fact that that they had that luxury means that they were able to really kind of play around the numbers and do some things other teams aren't going to be able to do. And Greg, we had a long talk with one governor, and I will not say who, but he just said, I look at that contract and I think, that's not a superstar to me, and that's superstar money. And for some teams, that is, right? Yeah. That some teams just yeah, can't I afford mean, that. There, there is a certain win-win here. Like, like Nylander got paid, 
Maybe not as much as, as as his camp thought, which was the dry saddle money. But the dry saddle money, money is increasingly becoming the outlier. Mm-hmm. Like it's it's kind of silly where people are like, he's the upper middle class. And what's hilarious is that like it basically it's like it's just pooing all over Peter Chiarelli. It's like mm-hmm. you idiot, why would you hand out that contract? We're not even going to consider that in our own financial planning or in our own co- comparables. Isn't that the theme of the 2018-19 season? Peter Chiarelli, what an idiot you are. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I mean, he's, he's not an idiot for hiring Ken Hitchcock, although I still have my suspicions on who exactly hired Ken Hitchcock. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I think, I think for, for Neil Ander, he got his money. He got the term that he's probably looking for because six years from now, he's going to still be in his prime. He's going to be unrestricted. He's going to have incredible numbers because of Austin Matthews. Um, and then the Leafs get him in for under seven million, which is what they were looking for. So. In some ways, it's a win-win for the Leafs and Nylander, but maybe not so much for the rest of the league. Yeah, and you know what? As the rest of the league is going to have to discover, (laughs) that Discover is the official credit card of the NHL. And with Discover, you can show how much you love your team everywhere you shop with a personalized card featuring your favorite NHL team's logos and colors. But no matter what team you root for, and it might be the Maple Leafs, it might not, who's to say? Discover is committed to rewarding all their new card members with cash back match. Only Discover offers a dollar-for-dollar match of all the cash back you've earned at the end of your first year. Automatically. No caps, no sign-ups. Redeem your rewards in any amount at any time, and they never expire. With all that extra cash, you can treat yourself to center ice seats to that game, your favorite player's jersey, or maybe buy some headphones to listen to your favorite podcast on. this one! So you can try it and believe it at discover.com slash NHL. Only for new, new card members and limitations apply. But do you know what limitations don't apply for? Uh, who's that? Katie Strang. <laughs> I am not going to lie here where I say I look up to this woman as a journalist. She is incredible. She is not only prolific, but she is profound. She writes some of the most important stories in the NHL. And Greg, you had the foresight to say, hey, Katie, why don't you come downstairs and join us for this podcast? And she did. And it's great. And here she is. Katie Strang is uh, the world's most popular hockey writer now, courtesy of all of the people who cheer for her Whoa. whenever her article drops on The Athletic. Whoa, that's quite the dubious honor. It's not like dubious. It, you do great work. And every time intimidating? something... Intimidating? Something, I would talk to you about this yesterday. Every time something drops, the the athletic people are like, this is why I subscribe to The Athletic. It is a life-changing article that Katie Strang has written. You know what I think it is? What I is think it? people are like, thank God someone else is like calling, you know, calling around when someone gets arrested or going through these really tedious, like dense legal documents. So I don't yeah, have you know, doing journalism. I'm happy to take that bullet for the team. Exactly. Always. Exactly. The collective hockey community. The three of us are here in Sea Island, Georgia, um, where the NHL Board of Governors meetings have taken place. Seattle is our 32nd team. Not a whole hell of a lot else happened. Were you... Didn't the Seattle thing feel weird because it was so positive? (laughs) So positive and also so anticlimactic. And I didn't cover the Vegas Mm -hmm. announcement at all because that was during my brief relegation to baseball. But... Um, you know, it was like one of those things that everyone was kind of tap dancing around, but we all knew it was going to happen, right? So it was just this, you know, intense leading up to this, you know. Are you on the same page, though, that you think it's going to be super successful, or do you think there's some challenges in the market? I do think it will be relatively successful, especially compared to other markets that right now are struggling. Mm-hmm. I think they have some of the key components. The fact that they have such a, like, a young and wealthy demographic. Mm-hmm. Plus, they have huge, like, corporate footprints, which I think when you're establishing a team in its infancy, like, you you need 
that sort of pipeline of ridiculous wealth. Yeah. You know, so yeah. to have those like sort of titans of industry and like those very deep pockets in that community, I think it'll be like a status symbol to have your Seattle, you know, Sasquatch. <laughs> well, no, you're just, Season tickets. No, no, I'm just, 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 yeah, I'm pandering to you. You're pandering to you. Yeah, pandering. no, no. It, I, I think you're right. And, and like demographically, it seems it fits. Um, and you know what Tablowicki said today? What he, he said? Say? It fits psychographically, which I thought was fascinating. You know, I noticed that too. I, I actually what looked is it, what up is it? Psych, psychographic. Right. And so it means like uh, using psychoanalysis on, on the people within like a marketplace or yeah, something? Yeah, so like their psychological attributes. So like your values and your attitudes and your outlooks. I still don't really know how to like translate that into what he well, means. I, I really hope that the people of Seattle don't line up in values with the NHL. <laughs> I, I don't. I didn't know what to make of that, but I certainly thought that was a fascinating choice of phrase. Indeed. Well, one of the things I think was the only thing we were waiting on, but it seemed like inevitability, was that they're entering in 2021 and not 2020. And I'm just curious your take, because as you said, you love to parse through legal documents that none of us (laughs) like to, and you do such a good job of it. Uh What do you think the implication was of the potential slash likelihood of a 2020 work stoppage? So I, now I asked this question to several people involved, and I feel like you got ranging answers from... It was of minimal concern. We discussed it a little bit, but it was definitely downplayed. And I think the fact that even they are acknowledging that it was a concern means that it certainly is one. I think, look, you look at, like, a player's contracts now, and they have lockout protection in those years. You know what I mean? Like, there's a reason for that. Um, and so I think, yes, do, would it have been ideal to... You know, open a season where your team's on the road for the first month? Probably not. No. But, like, I've covered plenty of Rangers teams that, like, went on European escapades and, like, did it. And the Chicago Blackhawks had exactly. a circus tour for, like, 20 years. Thank you. So it was fine. Um, so, and I don't buy, like, the level of speculativeness about when it will actually open. I think they probably have the ability to be much more specific about when it would. Mm-hmm. So I do think that is absolutely a consideration. I, I, the CBA thing, though, is like, you know, if, if there is sort of a, a cloud or, or specter over this whole thing, it's that. Sure. It's, you know, when you talk about Seattle, it's the CBA. When you talk about the World Cup, it's the CBA. Sure. Um, it's the uncertainty about whether they will, re- whether the players will reopen it next September to renegotiate it. And I find it funny now that, like, it seems like whenever Gary Bettman has a chance to, like, throw a little carrot in front of him and be like, you know, maybe you can go to the Olympics if you don't reopen. You know, maybe we can have the World Cup if you don't reopen. Right. Like, it just seems like there's a lot of that coming from the NHL, which tells me they know they're going to reopen the CBA. Yeah, and I think, you know, I almost sense, like, a level of, like, antsiness from the NHL about yeah. that. Like, I, I think there have been sort of a few veiled comments, even within the past day or two, that suggest they want to get negotiations moving earlier sooner rather than later. Um, I don't think artificial deadlines generally are good for getting a deal done. No. But um, I have been struck by what I found to be sort of an uncharacteristic level of optimism about there not being another lockout. From who, though? From both sides, honestly. Like, I, I feel like talking, you know, publicly, but mainly privately, I think there's certainly a significant contingent who say they believe that there's a deal to be done with tweaks and minor adjustments made 
but pretty straightforward. And I'm sure part of that is the fact that, you know, optically a 50-50 split looks relatively equitable, right? right? Um, Yes, thank you. Our beers have arrived, Katie. Yes, and I'm glad for that because that always adds... To the podcast flavor. No, but we're just trying to give our listeners natural sound. Yeah, ambient thank sound. You. Anything else? Is no, so essential. Thank you so much. No, I'm all set. Thank you. So you mentioned you mentioned the, the players' appetite towards this, and I think that's the one thing is like the owners are pretty happy, right? Like things are going pretty good. Like they're, they're, the money they're making is good. The, the cap system is working for them. The TV um, deal sucks, but they can get a new one. Right. But like the, the players are the ones this time that seem like they're like, okay, so we don't like escrow. You know, how do we right. change that? I feel like there's more on their side, but I don't think in any way, shape or form there's enough on the table where we can worry about like a strike. I agree with that. Now, I think, you know, as you both know, like any... Any sort of even informal survey of a dressing room, and they will tell you that escrow is the biggest gripe among players. And it's an accounting mechanism, essentially. And I understand that it causes a very visceral reaction. Now, there aren't a lot of great, you know, solutions to that if the league is hellbent on cost certainty. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, unless you want to talk about artificially lowering, lowering the cap and bringing contract values more in line with, you know, um, their actual values. So the question ultimately is, do they hate it enough that they are willing to sacrifice paychecks for it? And I'm not convinced that is the case. Which is, like, so I'm kind of talking about this in the abstract, and I, and I feel like I'm not making a great case for myself that I, I do think there will be another lockout. Yeah. And I can't really pinpoint why I do. Here's why. Okay. Because I think that the players won't strike, but they also won't sign a deal. And that, and that would force the owners into a lockout situation. And I also, I also feel like, you know, and having covered one of these, and, you know, I'm fascinated by labor negotiations in general. Mm-hmm. It does seem to be a trend that there always seems to be this impetus, right? There, there's some way in, in which the players are provoked or their pride is insulted or they feel like they're being wronged or like there's, there's a lack of trust. Yeah. And there's an institutional memory about what previous lockouts were like. And so that's why there's a lack of trust. Now, I think people would argue that maybe right now there's more trust than previous points of time, but I don't know. I mean... It's a younger group, too. It's a younger group. I feel like a lot of those old war horses aren't there anymore. Yeah, so that changes the complexion of it. Um, And so I'm, I'm, you know, do I think there's going to be another one? Yes, but if you had to ask me why and what's going to be sort of the linchpin of that, I'm not sure I could tell... Well, I actually, I, I I do think I can tell you what I think will ultimately happen, and I don't know how we're going to get there, so I'm going to give you my... I can't do point A or point B, but I think point C is is what will ultimately trigger it. Well, half the fun is getting there, Katie. (laughs) (laughs) I'm all about killing all the fun. Um, So, okay, you look at the the pie, right? And it's a a 50-50 split, Mm -hmm. right? And as I said before, that looks pretty good, right? And, And you look kind of like a selfish... Person, if you're if you're trying to claw back percentage points, right? right. Because that looks there's some inequity there, right? Yeah, um, and bad will. So, how do you get more of the pie while still not looking like an? And I think the answer to that is you change the pie. 
And so I think the most likely scenario that could prompt a lockout is if the owners show an appetite to change the way HR is codified right. in the CBA right. and try to... HR is hockey revenue, for those who don't know. Sorry, yes. Um, try to massage oh, the parameters. Yeah. My question for you, you mentioned if you ask anyone in a locker room, what's your biggest issue, a player? Number yeah. one, they'll say escrow. Yeah. Number two, they might say the Olympics. The yeah. Olympics are important to me. Yeah. What do you think the players should be asking for and should be a sticking point that they're not? That's a, um, that's a really good question. Um, not that they're not, but, you know, I, there's been some talk about um, the NHL subsidizing some of their um, payments for, for players after they're done mm-hmm. right. paying, and I think that would be some an area that could be addressed and improved. And, um, you know, the Olympic thing, I, I don't think... Again, I don't think they would miss paychecks for that. But what I think is important to remember about the Olympic thing is um, that non-monetary demands are still important right. in negotiations. And what sometimes frustrates me about like sort of the seven stages of, of grief of a lack <laughs> is that like there's always that sort of moment where players are treated as very greedy and um, like mercenaries and which is frustrating on a few different levels. One, like the money that they're getting isn't otherwise like going to the homeless. Right. It's going to much wealthier individuals right, 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 yeah. who've accrued like billions of dollars. <laughs> um, but second of all, like I think People underestimate like what a source of pride Olympic participation. Is. Oh yeah, and it's a very small segment, right? Like right. not every player. Ah, but the other part of that is that when there is Olympic participation, the other guys get a break, get yes, a vacation. They can, go, yeah. they can go. They go with their wives to Cancun. Which you is, know? I mean, yeah. no small thing when you consider what a grind in that. Of course, schedule. yeah. But you know, every player that like participates in the Olympics, it, it's a big deal to them. Yeah, it really is. It's not. It's not the same as winning a Stanley Cup, but there is something different about that. And I think when people don't give that the appropriate appreciation, I think that's insulting to players. Last one for me. Um, you mentioned, you, or you asked, uh, Deputy Commissioner Bill Daly, always a, a great conversation there, um, about Slava Voinov. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. where are you on that story? What do you think about it? Uh, it's It's something that... It's radioactive in a lot of ways yeah. to bring it up or to talk about it, but I mean, do you think that there's a path to the to him coming back? And also, I mean, it's hard for me now to not look at the Voinov thing in the same in the same under the same spotlight as like Kareem Hunt mm-hmm. and and uh, and um, who's the cat the Redskins just signed, uh, Ruben Foster. Right. Like there seems to be this sort of undercurrent in a lot of these sports of these people did horrible things. And in some cases, they are allowed back into the party. Right. And in some cases, they are ostracized from the party. And and, and how do you think it's going to play out with Voinov? I do not think he will play another game in the NHL mm-hmm. for a few different reasons. One, I don't have a great gauge on what level of interest there is in his services. Right. Mm-hmm. To be, you know, first and foremost. Two, um, and I may be wrong on this, but if... I were betting. It is my bet that after the investigation concludes, which seems to be taking a long time. It on does purpose. absolutely. Um, it, it's my guess that Gary Bettman will 
impose a suspension so substantive that it'll ultimately be prohibitive to him ever return. Wow, so you think there'll be even more punishment for him? Yes. Wow. Oh, absolutely. There's definitely. No no doubt in my mind. Not only more, but, I mean, significant. Daly's alluded to that already. Yeah. I, I don't think that's a big secret, but I think it it would ultimately serve as a so, you cannot pass go. It's essentially a poison pill. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. That's what go. I think will, will happen. Alright. Katie, I feel smarter every time I read one of your articles and I feel smarter in these seconds that I just sat here and just stared at you as you and I nodded. It's something you can't hear on this podcast, but was absolutely happening. Uh, I guess I was nodding so I was fangirling. I guess the last the last question we have for you is, what do you think about the NHL Board of Governors meeting here at Sea Island? At the Cloisters. You feel cloisters. Uh, what I find I interesting is we're outside right now mm-hmm. as we do this, as people have heard tables being dragged and plants being overhead. Um, it feels like we are in a, a beautiful tropical, wonderful place. Inside, it's the mansion from The Shining. Like, it is literally the totally. ski chalet from The yeah, Shining. Yeah, totally. It's, it's the you overlook. Know, that's really interesting because this does have, like, sort of like an... I've never been to Aspen because I'm not that bougie, but I feel like <laughs> this has, like, a very opera-ski mm-hmm. type feel. Yeah. I mean, Emily and I were monopolizing the couch in front of the fireside. Right. Um, so it does feel like that, and then you, like, go outside, and it's sort of... It's not even just tropical. It's almost sort of, like, swamp-like and bayou. Like, yeah. Up, yeah. like upscale Bayou is how I would describe it's aesthetic. Put that on the website. Inside, it's like cider, and outside, it's like you should be drinking a mint julep. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's very strange. It is. Maybe that's the appeal. Maybe we're maybe this is we've this is the sea island we don't understand. Yeah, it's It's kind of swampy. There's a lot of humidity. Um, I loved the club croissant, though. Sandwich. In your crab tartine. Who can forget about that? Well, there you go. Well, now, that's all, now you've gotten hockey, culinary, travel. I don't know what else you want. Katie Strang, you're the best. Where can people find your work? Oh, uh, the Athletic. Yeah, uh, yeah, on Twitter still or no? Oh, yes. Katie J. Strang. No, oh, there it is. Okay. Who took Katie Strang? Uh, I'm not sure. Mm. You know, I was Katie Strang ESPN, but as we know, I had to excise yeah. that from the label. Thanks Sorry for, to put that. Thanks for coming back awkward. on the podcast, Katie. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Take care. Fancy. Our thanks to Katie Strang of The Athletic, one of our favorite journalists and a good friend uh, for joining us here on the podcast. Uh, do check out her stuff. It's incredible. Um, but now it's time for one of our favorite segments of the week. Phil Kessel loves hot dogs. No, he does not love to eat hot dogs. Our weekly weekly look at sad hyperbole and strange narratives of the hockey media. Good one, Randy. Good one. That's right. Phil Kessler's Hot Dogs, uh, the uh, part of the show in which we uh, point out some of the failings of the hockey media. And when it comes to hockey media failings, Damian Cox is usually involved. Uh, So Damian Cox wrote about Willie Nylander, talked about his hair, talked about how he looked like Bradley Cooper, which is a weird flex. Um, Weird flex, but okay. But also wrote about Willie Nylander. He represents the new generation of young NHL stars who didn't grow up skating on frozen ponds, but were literally bred and trained by their hockey-playing fathers to develop their skills that would allow them to one day demand their share of this $5 billion industry. At 22, Nylander is making extraordinary amounts of money, which is surprising one way, but not that surprising, since that was the plan all along. I got two words for you. Walter Gretzky. <laughs> I mean, for God's sakes, it's a new thing. All of a sudden, where hockey parents are trying to get their kids to make money playing hockey? What is going on here? I mean, what, because you saw his dad play? You think he's like, what is this nonsense? It is, 
it is an, 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 a, a sports tradition, not only in hockey, basketball, football, everything. I remember Greg Jeffries of the Mets swinging a wiffle bat under under the water in his, his parents' pool, trying to make him hit better. And that was in 1988. So come on, Damian Cox, with this nonsense. And by the way, doesn't grow up playing on the pond. You know what? Don't blame hockey parents for that. Blame global warming, Damian Cox. That was my biggest offense to it. I think there's a lot of ponds in Sweden. I'm pretty sure well, Lily played on it. Too. It's just silly. Um, all right. Time for a puck headlines. Dateline Flyers. Uh, Chuck Fletcher is the new GM of the Philadelphia Flyers. He got a chance to meet Gritty. I don't know which is the bigger honor. Um, I talked to Craig Leopold about Chuck Fletcher. Leopold, of course, the owner of the Minnesota Wild. They said, you know what? If they're looking for bold... Chuck Fletcher could be bold, and I think they're looking for bold. They're looking for experienced, which is why my guy Bill, Bill Zito didn't get the job. R.I.P. Bill Zito's candidacy for Flyers GM. Give that man a job, somebody. Heard it was only a phone interview. I know, and Yikes. same with same with Dave Nonis, like like due diligence for both those guys. But Chuck Fletcher got the whole dog and pony show. Um, but you know, listen, he's experienced. He uh, won a cup with the Penguins, an assistant GM. He was with uh, Minnesota for I think nine years. Um, some of his uh, trades were great. I mean, you don't need a rider for Cal Clutterbuck. Awesome trade. Trading Brent Burns for Charlie Coyle and Devin Sedaguchi. Not so as as good. And. You know, I think his legacy is tied to the Zach Parise, uh, Ryan Suter signings, but I always kind of felt like that was a little unfair because if two guys that are the premium free agents in the market are both like, I want to live closer to home and I want to live where my wife wants to live and that falls into your lap, like, aren't you kind of mandated to make that deal? Like, I totally think the money's there. So I kind of don't put that on Chuck Fletcher necessarily. But I, he's an interesting choice. I, 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 I hope he's a good choice. Everybody seems to be pretty high on him figuring out a way to make this team a winner. Yeah, I think it's just a season choice, and that's what they wanted. I will say this about Chuck. He's a good communicator, and I think when you read between the lines and all the euphemisms about what went wrong with Ron Hextall, <laughs> they want somebody who's going to be very open and collaborative in the process, and I think that'll be Chuck. And also, the one thing that we do forget about the Minnesota Wilds is they did a great job with the Iowa Wild and bringing up a lot of their prospects, yeah. and he inherits what is an incredible prospect pool. He'll know exactly the right times to promote guys. Yep, and then, and then also, you know, he was a guy who got that team into the play playoffs, too, on a pretty regular basis. Uh, speaking of communication, Dateline Glendale, the Coyotes were a high, hot topic here, actually, at the Board of Governors meetings. Like, are they going to exist? Uh, are they going to be happy in the Central Division? Um, the Coyotes are moved to the Central in 2021 when Seattle comes in. Their president and CEO, Aaron Cohen, issued the following statement about it. Quote, we are happy to welcome Seattle as the NHL's 32nd franchise. As the NHL continues to grow the game of hockey throughout North America, we will work with the league to ensure a smooth transition into the Central Division in time for the 2021 season. What? I'm sorry, the 21-22 season. A smooth transition? What, like, you know, recalibrating their Google Maps to figure out what arenas they're going to go to more than once? I'm I mean, not going to lie. I read the statement and I started thinking in my mind, am I missing something? Like, do they have to move their practice facility? <laughs> like, what did I miss here? Quote, our fans should take comfort in knowing that they will continue to see us play our Pacific Division rivals multiple times a year, including squaring off with Vegas for desert bragging rights, while also getting to see new rivalries with some legacy franchises. Yada, yada, yada. Desert bragging rights, Emily. One of the things the NHL does better than anybody else is forcing rivalries, and boy, did they try to contrive the battle of the desert uh, between the Arizona Coyotes and Vegas Gold Knights. If you remember, the Arizona Coyotes were the team that played that inaugural game, and it wasn't just because of a gimme. But look, as one board of governor told us, I think the NHL kind of forces these geographical rivals more than they should. It should be players versus players, and hopefully that's what we get. And you know what? We'll get all these Coyotes players playing their old uh, Blackhawks team more often. <laughs> 
two things. First off, I do remember Arizona was their opening night uh, opponent because I took the over and won. Second off, uh, I was interested to hear Gary Bettman say that the Central Division teams actually draw better in Arizona than do the Pacific teams, which is kind of an interesting thing. Hmm. So maybe to look forward to. Dateline, Ottawa, Bettman, disappointment. Disappointed in the arena situation. Uh, the downtown arena plan kind of fell apart. Eugene Melnick is now suing his financial partners in that deal as it fell apart. Uh, worried about Ottawa? You know what? Gary Bettman is someone who's very careful with his words and very deliberate with his words. So the fact that he said, I'm disappointed, seemed very stern. So, yes, I am a little bit concerned. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the other thing about Ottawa, obviously, Dateline Ottawa, was Eric Carlson came back, um, emotional return. Uh, a very emotional shutting down of questions about Ottawa until he got back to do his press conference, which pissed off some people. But, you know, as this is right, he's Eric Carlson. Um, finally, Dateline NHL scoring leaders as we do the show uh, on this Tuesday. Patrick Lyonet, 21. Skinner, 20. Braden Point, 20. Pasternak, 19. Ovechkin, 19. McKinnon, 19. Who's going to win the Richard Trophy this year for the leading scorer in goals in the National Hockey League? Who's your daddy? Mine's Line A. <laughs> I'll go Line A too. I, I, I think he's on a tear, as he's shown. Like he can he can score five goals at a clip. Maybe it's just some a wish my heart is making that Patrick Line is going to end up winning uh, this thing. But uh, anyways, now it's time for the ESPN on Ice rant line as we listen to a Thrashers fan pretty upset about Seattle getting a team. So I got to try this twice because getting angry is harder than it looks. I'm an old Atlanta Thrashers fan. I've been mad about the team moving since the second it moved, and haven't gotten any less angry about it. When I heard the NHL Board of Governors was going to have an expansion meeting in Georgia, I was livid. The league has no right to show its face in the state when it hasn't even done anything to reverse the incorrect narrative that Atlanta was relocated because of a lack of fans. Don Waddell, who still has a job, I might add, as a general manager, gutted that team on an almost biannual basis. The NHL abandoned Atlanta when it kind of needed just some new owners in state and a better GM, and they've done very little to appease the fans left over in that place. The NHL board of governors are a bunch of crusty old men. I hate the NHL, and despite the fact that I still watch it and torture myself with it on a yearly basis, this is probably one of the things that kind of rubs me in the worst way. As you know, as we talked about before, Atlanta did not have the three pillars anymore. They did, they did not have a good market. They had a building, but they didn't have good ownership. So that's one pillar. One pillar. So obviously couldn't have a team anymore. But uh, anyways, that's ESPN and Ice for this week here in Sea Island, Georgia, a place of riverboats and swamps, of table service as we do the podcast. An abundance of crabs. Lots of crabs. Too many crabs. And I'll probably have crab tonight. Many crabs, indeed. Um, thanks to Katie Strang for joining us. Great to hear from her again. Uh, thanks to Victor DeBonis of the uh, uh, new Seattle franchise. And thanks to the folks in Seattle for making that happen. It was a really crazy day. They all had to fly out by like 3 o'clock to uh, get back to Seattle for the groundbreaking ceremony on the arena tomorrow and stuff. So, like, it was really cool that they uh, made that happen. And thanks to you for listening. If you dig the podcast, do head to iTunes and uh, hit up a review, hit up a... Uh, a comment, a star rating, what have you, about the podcast. Tell a friend about what we're doing. And uh, join us next week for more fun and merriment. I'm Greg Wyshynski. You can find my stuff on ESPN.com and over over at Wyshynski, W-Y-S-H-Y-N-S-K-I on Twitter. I'm Emily Kaplan. You can find me on Twitter at Emily M. Kaplan. And you know what? If you listen this long, you should definitely check out ESPN.com because we filled a boatload of stuff. That's true. Week. And all I have to say for now is bye. 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 
This has been ESPN on Ice with Wyshynski and Kaplan. Subscribe to the show in the ESPN app or Apple Podcasts.